This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday, the 18th of February. And so around the world, we're starting to see cases fall, and they've been falling for a couple of weeks now, which is great news. Outside of Australia and our our wonderful little bubble here, the pandemic's obviously um, causing a lot of havoc overseas. And so the question is, Norman, is this just the tail end of a pandemic curve that we would have expected anyway, or are we starting to see the vaccine at work now? The answer is nobody can be very sure. But what I can say is that, and if people want to go back in the Health Report podcast, I interviewed Chris Murray of the Institute of Health Metrics Evaluation at the University of Washington, Seattle. And they're they're amongst the best modelers internationally of the pandemic. And I think it was in November, he predicted that you would see at the end of January, beginning of February, they predicted that the pandemic would fall off. Oh, we mentioned this on Coronacast as well, didn't we, at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I think we yeah, did, yeah. yes. And the and he was saying that was independent of vaccine. So in other words, they weren't factoring in the vaccine at that point because I think vaccines were really just getting going at that point. It was hard to know how it was, how it was going to evolve and you know, where you were going to get maximum penetration of vaccine. So it was early days in the vaccination strategy. So they didn't really factor it in. His feeling was, I think from memory, that um, this is partly seasonal. The the maximum effect of winter had been reached, even though there's obviously a lot of cold weather to go, and that he felt that that was the reason. And you would have to assume that vaccination may well start be starting to have an effect. And remember, cases around the world vary because usually it's somebody who's symptomatic who's gone to have a test, and that becomes a case of COVID-19. But it's mixed in. There are asymptomatic cases in there as well. So it's you know, the definitions vary from country to country. But nonetheless, you, you would expect the vaccine to reduce the number of people coming forward for testing with symptomatic disease. This probably would have happened anyway without vaccination, and it's going to accelerate presumably with it. Yeah, I mean, we've had millions and millions of vaccines rolled out now, and the data that we were talking about a few weeks ago out of Israel seemed to indicate that within a few weeks people had a fairly good protection from the virus after vaccination. And so, yeah, the World Health Organization the night before last um, said that 16% decline compared to the previous week in terms of case numbers, and also very hearteningly, a 10% decline in the death rate from the previous week as well. Yeah, there's a lag, obviously, to the death rate um, or the number of deaths. Um, And I think that what we still don't have a fix on is what the COVID pandemic is doing in low-income countries. And we just need to remember that within low-income countries, this is not just a, an ethical and humanitarian issue. This is a selfish issue for us as well, that new variants can emerge from low-income countries if the pandemic is still running relatively unchecked in those countries. And if that's the case, and you've got the fall is where they're doing most, you're seeing is more they're doing most testing, we don't have full visibility in what's going on in low-income countries. And if the pandemic continues and the effect of vaccines is not kicking in because they're not vaccinating, then you've still got the virus circulating with all the mutants that are being thrown off and those can spread. And if we want to control this pandemic and stop new variants emerging, we've got to immunise 
low-income countries with a very high degree of probability. It's not just for their sake, it's for our sakes too. Yeah, absolutely. The virus can't mutate on its own. It can't mutate if it's sitting on a bench top or it can only mutate when it's in your body replicating. And the more people it's replicating in, the more opportunities it has to mutate. That's right. And most of these mutations will be harmless mutations like the one we were like the ones we were talking about all last year. But now, you know, the risk is that the mutants that the, the, the virus is throwing off. Remember, the virus does not have a brain, so it's not intentionally doing this. It's throwing off mutants and the, fourth, the pressure of evolution is directing some mutants to survive where others couldn't. So if you're socially distancing, you'll get mutants that are surviving, which can get around social distancing, which means they're more contagious, like the UK variant. And as we vaccinate, so mutants that are are resistant to the vaccine will start to preferentially survive. So we've just got to get immunisation out as quickly as possible globally. Well, speaking of getting immunisation out as quickly as possible, we're hearing that New South Wales is going to be rolling out the Pfizer vaccine to frontline health workers starting from Monday. And the plan is that they're going to vaccinate about 35,000 frontline workers over the course of about three weeks, which, I mean, we were talking the other day about how we needed to be vaccinating 190,000 people a day in order to sort of meet our October goals. Is 35,000 in three weeks a good starting pace or too slow? We're partly limited by the supply of vaccine. And remember, the vaccine's got to be spread around Australia to different states. And you know, we haven't got the vaccine to do 100,000 a day yet. It's going to be March, April before we've got anything approaching that. Even And even then we might have an issue. So it's not just the ability to roll out the vaccine, it's the supply of vaccine. And in fact, that's the problem they've got in some countries is that the demand has exceeded the supply and uh, it was slow to start with and they were wasting vaccine in the United States, but now they've got a supply issue. I think I might have said frontline health workers. Of course, I mean frontline workers of all types, not just health workers. Yeah, it's you know, hotel quarantine first and I think that will be the state, this will be what's going to happen in every jurisdiction, that that's the high-risk group and they, you know, to protect them and hopefully to protect others because the Pfizer vaccine is likely to prevent transmission to a greater extent than the Astra vaccine. And then the other local news that we should touch on is that Melbourne's five-day lockdown lifted after five days, which is it must be a huge relief to people. So what are we expecting to see over the coming weeks? Just everything going back to normal, hopefully? Yeah, I mean, the contact tracers have done a fantastic job, although it was painful for people over the uh, Lunar New Year and the Valentine's Day weekend and businesses to go into lockdown, you know, there's lots of recriminations. The reality is, as we've said for now almost a year on CoronaCast, act and beg for forgiveness later. You just don't know whether what you're going to do is going to have an effect. And, um, you know, and there was a moment where they were worried, where they were seeing things popping up and they just locked down. And now they're down to you know, very low numbers. There's probably still some virus circulating. But if it goes according to the pattern of the other states, it's now going to be, you know, donut days from now on. You know, and the price was a five-day lockdown. But you know, you're better begging for forgiveness rather than chasing your tail. 
And so, Norman, we've got some feedback and some requests for clarification on our episode yesterday. We, we talked at length about the AstraZeneca vaccine and we tossed a few numbers around about its efficacy in pre- preventing severe disease and preventing any disease, hospitalizations and deaths. And can we just clarify what we know for sure about how well the AstraZeneca vaccine works? Yeah, yeah. I, look, it's a, it's a fair point that we got. I don't actually know the name of the person who sent it in. It came in via Twitter. And in fact, what I was quoting was a number that was being bandied about last year, which was 90%. But if you look at a preprint, in other words, this is a non-peer-reviewed paper in the, that's going to be in The Lancet eventually, and they looked at this issue, which is that people were on a trial, about 17,000 people on a trial where they were trying a single dose of the vaccine. They reckoned it wasn't strong enough, so they had to give a second dose. And some of the people in that trial, and that 17,000, got the dose 12 weeks apart. And when you looked at that 12-week group, on average, they actually got 82% effectiveness at preventing COVID-19 symptoms. Um, And the range was up to 91%. So it's not as effective, um, you know, as a correction of yesterday, it's not as effective as the Pfizer vaccine according to the published data. But it's still, you know, close, for example, to the... Novavax vaccine, which was published at 89%. That's good news, but it's not, it's not as good as the Pfizer vaccine. And so to some questions, and Peter's asking, if someone takes the AstraZeneca vaccine, two doses, three months apart, would it be medically safe for that same person to also get another vaccine, for example, the Pfizer vaccine, that has a strong efficacy against the new COVID strains? And if so, how soon medically could someone have the new vaccine? Nobody knows the answer to that question. The British are doing a trial of mixing the vaccine types to see what what effect that, that has had. In theory, it should be okay. It's unlikely that you can use the Astra vaccine a third time for a booster because it's going to develop anti, you're going to develop antibodies to the chimpanzee virus that carries the genetic material in. So boosters are going to be with a different kind of vaccine. It might be the Novavax or it might be the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccines. And we've got to start planning for that now. We, the answer is we just don't know at the moment what the safe interval is between uh, different vaccines and boosters. I, I think it's unlikely you're going to get a booster uh, within six months, I suspect, just on practical terms. And it's going to evolve into something like influenza, where once a year they get a composite vaccine of the variants that are running at that time, remembering that what happens with this is that for most people and most of the variants so far, it turns COVID-19 into the common cold. And what you're trying to do is prevent escape. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today, but you can leave us a review if you like what we do uh, in your podcast catcher of choice. And of course, you can ask us a question, abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then.